0: Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky.
1: And welcome everybody to another amazing day right here on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. I hope everybody's having a fantastic Tuesday. We've got a pretty action-packed show for you. We're going to start off talking about uh, two different stories involving Andy Bashir. Then we'll go into discussing about the Bluegrass Station imminent domain situation happening with Lockheed Martin. That's causing quite a stir with a lot of farmers here in Kentucky as well as the local communities. And then if we have time, we'll be going over some bills that the legislature will most likely be considering this week passing out of one chamber or the other. We're going to have all that. And more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter show. But before we dig into it, if you want to reach out to the show, I encourage you to head on over to theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's theandrewshow.com. You can find past shows, contact forms, a way to reach out. And if you have any questions about what's going on, please feel free to reach out. If you have any uh, stories you need covered, you think reach out. If you have any comments on things that we've covered. I encourage you please reach out to the show at that uh, the website. So over the weekend, actually on Sunday, Annie Bashir tweeted this out. He said in many Kentucky counties, especially rural ones, our public schools are the biggest employers. Just imagine what would happen in these communities if we finally gave our educators the 11% raise they deserve. Now on its surface, that doesn't really look like all that bad of a tweet, but I do have to obviously point out a lot of the issues with the tweet itself that upon first glance maybe may not be as obvious. And what is Bashir, and that is what is Bashir really saying here? Now, if you wanna argue that teachers deserve a raise because you just think they do, and you have some reason to point that out, such as perhaps there, uh, you know, market value uh, that, you know, it, if we give them this amount of raise, it would lead to higher recruitment. Here's the empirical data to support that. But keep in mind, Andy Bashir also isn't just pushing in this for a raise for teachers his 11 percent raise plan he wants for every single school employee that's everybody from the janitor if they're a school employee all the way up to those high paid administrators and when i say high paid while in your district maybe your administrators don't make as much when we look at places like lexington and louisville we see dozens of administrative employees making well over $100,000 a year, and Annie Bashir wants to go ahead and make sure that they get their 11% raise. Now, priorly on the show, I've gone into, are teachers paid enough, are they not? What's fair market value? Let's compare apples to apples. Let's really dig into that conversation. I've done that on prior shows. I'm not gonna do that here. Instead, I'm going to talk about this argument that he's putting forward and just how morally bankrupt and communistic, it really is, okay? So once again, what he said was, in many Kentucky counties, especially rural ones, our public schools are the biggest employers, period. Just imagine what would happen in these communities if we finally gave our educators the 11% raise they deserve. Now, for those of you who don't necessarily see the problem right away, let me say this a different way. We should pay government employees more money Out of your pocket. So we should take more money out of your pocket and give it to government employees simply because they will spend it better. Now think about that for a second. Does that sound like something you would agree with if I said that we should take money out of your pocket by force, using the force of government to give it to somebody, a government employee, simply because we like where they will spend it better? Of course not. That is a morally bankrupt argument. That is justifying nothing but communistic wealth redistribution using government taxation theft methods. That's what you're doing. That is on its face. I know it sounds rosy and all nice and colored glasses, but at the end of the day, this is absolutely a morally bankrupt argument. Take money from our taxpayers and give it to government employees because we like how they'll spend it better. Now, I made that point on Twitter. Of course, many people first try to say, how can you draw that out of what he tweeted? But it's quite clearly what he treated, what he said. He said, imagine what would happen in these communities if we gave our educators the 11% raise they deserve. Basically, imagine how much more money would be in these communities by taking money from your pocket and giving it to these government employees. Which, by the way, we're going to take a vig in the process, You know, a little expense off the top. You know how it works. We've got bills to pay here at the government, too. But the comments too as well, one of them was, well, this is what we do with these rural communities all the time. We're always redistributing wealth into these rural communities. And saying that the state coming in and and taxing more out of per se, Lexington or Louisville and then providing less per capita and dollar amount back to that community than they do others is not the same as arguing that we should give individuals in these communities cash money simply because of where they live and take it out of the pockets of those that don't live in those communities and and it's different on space for many reasons one when we're talking about a road system throughout kentucky yes that does benefit those within that community more than others and i will not uh, uh say that that isn't true but Nothing precludes you if you decide to go for for a drive from also driving on those roads. Nothing precludes you from enjoying uh, the fruits of those labors yourself outside of they're just not per se in your community. I'm not saying it makes it right. I would love to see a system where each county is able to stand on their own, but that is not the same as saying we need to take cash money out of your pocket and then give that cash money to somebody else simply because they live in a in an area where we want them to spend more money than you do. We're talking about cash money from pocket to another. That is, by and kind, a lot different than the government redistribution of services. It's a huge difference. But also, this very idea that we need 11% raised to somehow fix our education system is false on its surface. And to pretend that that money will end up going to the educators fully, come on, that most of this money will... Maybe the teachers will get some, but the administrators, everybody else, they're going to get more too. I mean, keep in mind, okay, at the same time, our legislators are putting forward $300 million in their budget to pay for uh, the bus, bus transportation systems in our public schools here in Kentucky. And I dug into this on the show, and I dug into how that's way too much money and how we're spending a lot, and this is why it's a bad idea. That's on a prior show. Go to theandrewshow.com, and you can find all these prior shows. But so keep in mind, the state is in the process of getting more money to schools for transportation. While that's going on, uh, JCPS, Jefferson County Public Schools, Louisville Public Schools, announced just this past week that they would be cutting routes to magnet schools as well as uh, other kind of special schools. So if your kid uh, isn't you know, being forced bus to one public school or just happens to go to this public school, but if instead they qualify for magnet schools, they'll no longer be busing them to their schools. They're making this announcement now knowing they're going to be receiving millions of dollars from the state to help pay for this transportation. Why? Because it's never enough money. They're going to cut services while receiving more money from the state and tell you that it's the right thing to do. It's the thing that they have to do. In order to make ends meet. Here's the thing. This is like a black hole when it comes to our schools. Money will get dumped into it. And it won't result in better outcomes for kids. It never has. It literally never has. There is no empirical data to prove this. And the reason why I keep talking about this, and some people brought that up, why do you keep talking about the teachers and schools? Not only does half of our general fund go to this, but also we need to have the hard conversations that our legislators can't. We need to create the, the environment where our legislators can come out and say, you know what, maybe paying teachers more isn't the call here maybe paying uh administrators more isn't the call here paying bus drivers more when that's not what they're demanding like for example in louisville uh in order to in their protests maybe instead of doing that we can say something else but if we don't create the the culture that says that you can say that well we're going to keep getting this wasteful spending well, coming up after this, we'll be digging into something else about Bashir that's happened this week. Uh, you're listening to The Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky politics.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: And you are back with the Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Before the break, we are talking about a Bashir tweet that happened earlier in this week, but I told you I had something else I want to talk about in uh, regards to Bashir, and you may remember from this past uh, campaign season where Bashir was running against Daniel Cameron. And and one thing that circulated, it was an ad on TV, I know. And one thing uh, that went around online was a picture from Bashir uh, back during uh, some of the crazed LGBTQ protests where they were coming out against Senate Bill 150 that passed, um, what is that, in 2020? Two or three, early 23 or 22. But Bashir took a 23. It was 2023. Um, But Bashir took a photo with a member of the Perpetual Indulgence, uh, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And I covered this at the time, but the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, for those who are unaware, is this group of drag performers that dress up as Catholic nuns in an exaggerated and sexual fashion in order to go ahead and um, make fun of the Christian faith. They're specifically doing it to mock the Christian faith because they hate it. Because, of course, the Christian faith says, while you are loved by God, no matter who you are, and he wants you to sin no more, uh, thinking you're the opposite sex, homosexuality, so on and so forth, is a sin, and the plain rules and laws and... Words of the Bible (laughs) is a sin and doing so is a sin. And we're not going to shy away from saying that. But because Christianity says that, well, they took huge issue with it. So these sisters of perpetual indulgence, they dress as these nuns to make fun of Christians. And Bashir saw fit to take a photo with these people. And maybe I was actually up there while they were protesting. I remember seeing this individual and it turns out that that nun, it would appear Uh, is an Adam Westbrook. So based upon the photos of Adam, based upon the photos of this nun, it does appear to be the same person, Adam Westbrook, who, funny enough, while I'm talking about a piece of legislation that happened in Kentucky, that the governor of Kentucky took a picture with this guy, this guy doesn't live in Kentucky. No, he lives in a part of Wisconsin that's almost eight hours away from Frankfurt. So this this nun, cross-dresser, dude that thinks he's a woman i guess or at least is drag dresses as a nun in order to make fun of christianity drove eight hours from wisconsin to vocally take part of a lgbtq protest against senate bill 150 which deals with kentucky and i want all legislators that listen to this and i know there's a lot of you And those of you, when you talk to your legislators, make sure you communicate this to them to remember when the left is doing these very organized protests, when you saw those Moms Demand Action protests, when you see these trans protests. And we always say, why is it, and I've seen this before, where we will have big protests on certain issues and it will be people from Kentucky, but the left, no matter how trivial the issue, no matter how ridiculous the issue, will end up having a lot of people there. A lot of people there. And we all and, and and it's very frustrating where you think, is the right just disengaged? Does the people of Kentucky not care about this issue? But the left really cares about it. Well, it turns out it's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with the fact that the left literally will drive eight hours over a, a state that's that is nowhere near them's law that they're passing to protest it. I couldn't imagine driving eight hours to take part in a protest. Over a law in another state, I couldn't, it would never even cross my mind to do so. I couldn't imagine it. But yet, that is what, well, I could imagine taking part in a protest that's over eight hours away uh, in maybe a state, but I couldn't imagine taking part in a protest in the state legislature over a bill that that state legislature is passing. I mean, think about this for a second. What's a really, I guess it would be like. What, uh, Illinois, Michigan, clearly somewhat far left, but like New York. Imagine showing up at a New York uh, uh, state capitol to protest a bill that they're pa- like, those people don't represent you. And that's the point I want to make to the legislators that all these, when you see these protests and you look around, not all of them are constituents. A lot of them aren't even Kentuckians. And that is, that is one thing I really want to point out on this issue. Here's the other thing. So it's Adam Westbrook that's from Wisconsin, and the reason why this came about, it appears, not, he is a uh, been arrested on several counts of child pornography and exploitation of a minor. And, you know, obviously this guy's coming to Kentucky. I saw, I stood near this dude. Turns out he's a, 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 a possibly, a pedophile. And he's coming into this state. That's the kinds of people the left is importing into Kentucky to come and, uh, uh, you know, protest on bills. Reportedly people who are pedophiles. And, And that should tell you, if pedophiles are on one side of an issue, you should be on the other. In case you ever worried about, are we on the right side of this whole transgender issue? Their side has pedophiles. So just something to think about. But anyways, uh, or accused pedophiles, sorry. But the other conversation I think we have to have outside of the, exactly the Kentucky issues, but more as a national conversation is we got to talk about these trans people being very, very mentally sick individuals that we are not treating. We are just reinforcing their already uh, uh, confused mindsets. We're not treating their mental illness, we're reinforcing it, and it's festering and it's creating a lot of sick, weirdo individuals that not only do they do things that are completely morally reprehensible, but they also will take violent actions. And I think it's a conversation we need to have, but it's a really difficult conversation to even begin to discuss, to even talk about. And I don't mean difficult because it's like emotionally hard. I mean, it's difficult to talk about because there is not a lot of hard data on this. For an example, if I Google percentage of child molesters that are white or straight or male or female, you can find an answer pretty quick. For an example, I searched how many child molesters are male, and the answer came up that it's between 80 to 90% up. Came up very quickly. Now try researching how many pedophiles are transgender. You're, you, you will not find an answer Easily at all. And if you do, send me that research. Because I found some research answers and I kind of was able to put some stuff together. But I really couldn't find a strong study on this. Um, what I did find, though, is an interesting little conversation on this, was an article. When I Google about how many uh, uh, pedophiles are transgender, I get an article that is from 2017 about sex offenders in U.K., And in it, it it spouts off that uh, fully half of all sex offenders, uh, of all transgender people in UK prisons in 2017 were in prison due to sex offenses, sexual crimes. And then immediately following that article from 2017 is another article trying to debunk that article. So that's what you Google. and And the best thing that Google can deliver to you is an article from six years away google nearly anything else white men women i can get an answer the minute i search transgender people it thinks the most important result is uk article i'm, I'm in kentucky it knows that and that's a a, a uk art not university of kentucky but an england british you know an uk article from 2017 and then the second result is an article debunking that in fact I tried to find a very specific answer to this question and I went on a hunt and I tried Google and DuckDuckGo and the closest I came to actually being able to answer this question, how many percentage wise of sex offenders are non-binary or gender dysmorphic or uh, identify as something other than male and female? What are their gender identities? And the closest I could come was an FBI statistic From uh, 2022 that says 13.7% of sex offenders' genders were unknown. So it had the amount that were male, amount that were female, and then it said we had 13.7% of genders that were unknown. Which, if you think about how the sex offender list works, how do you not know their gender? Which makes me think that the FBI is possibly in this stat covering up the fact that 13.7% of sex offenders are gender dysmorphic fall into the LGBTQ community. And if that's the case, that is a massive, not only LGBTQ community, but specifically fall into some sort of weird gender of trans or non-binary something like that. And if that's really 13.7%, that is a big, huge, this is, this is literally an, an pandemic, endemic, whatever you want to call it of sexual pedophiles, being transgender or non-binary if that is the case it would be a ridiculous it would be almost like a ridiculous amount to the point where almost you because you gotta think 13.7 percent think about what percentage of the population those individuals make out think about it and if that's 13.7 percent is even close to accurate that is absolutely out of control now, I did find one piece of re- research about transgender people and sex offenses, though so I got to tell you something. You're going to have to wait for me to go over exactly uh, what I found there and the conversation about that until after this short break, because we're coming up on a, a commercial break here. So you're listening to The Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter. If you want to reach out to the show, feel free to email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's... Info at theandrewshow.com. You can also head over to theandrewshow.com if you want to check out old episodes or shows. But we'll be back here in a few, few short minutes. Stay with us. We're going to be digging in a little bit more into this issue about, uh, you know, we're seeing a new story every day. Every day we see another transgender offender. (laughs) That rhymed. Another transgender offender when it comes to pedophilia. see it every day. But what's the facts behind this? What, what do we know about it? We'll be covering more of that after this short break. We'll see you soon. And you are back with the Andrew Kubrider Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Before the break, we we're discussing the fact that if you remember from the governor's campaign, this photo went around of Bashir with one of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence Catholic nun, drag queen, making fun of Christianity people. In uh, based upon that photo, comparing to other photos, it would appear that Bashir was taking that photo with one Adam Westbrook, who is coming to Kentucky. uh, Who's and and if it is Adam Westbrook, that means he's from Wisconsin, a town eight hours away from Frankfurt, and he came to Frankfurt to protest about uh, House Senate Bill One Fifty, a bill to uh, on the the transgender to ban transgender surgeries. Uh, hormones, puberty blockers for minors here in Kentucky. And so he came to uh, town about that, Bashir took a photo. Well, it's come out that he's recently been arrested on several counts of child pornography as well as exploitation of a minor. So he's an accused pedophile. And it seems like every day we see another news story. Uh, We saw one here in Kentucky recently down in Paducah. Um, we're, We're seeing tons of news stories. Of these transgender people that are committing horrendous, horrible, pedophilic acts on children. And the fact that we see these and this many of them, and the fact that the media complex certainly would for their narrative, not want us to see these things, but yet they're still leaking through. I said about to answer the question of, you know, how, how often is this happening? Because obviously When we look at this whole transgender thing, we're seeing a mental illness. That's what it is. You can try to dress it up however you want to, but it is a mental illness that is being untreated, not just untreated, but reinforced by society, being told by their peers, you're fine, you're beautiful the way you are. Whatever you think in your messed up mind is a okay Let's reinforce that. In fact, do you want drugs to reinforce your belief? Do you need a surgery to reinforce your belief? You be you. Well, it's turning out, it looks like, that a lot of these individuals are pedophiles, which is why having them around your kids is so concerning. That's why, and and, and, you know, we shouldn't be surprised. It should be a pretty good indication that this might've been an issue with a group of people who insist upon making drag queen story hour a thing. Like, If if you're trying to be accepted and tolerated in a society, the last thing you'd want to do is say, let me dress in drag. Let me dress in a sexual performance gear and read to kids. That's how I get accepted into society. That'd be the last thing you would do. So there's some indication there. So I set about to answer the question, how bad is it, right? So I saw an FBI statistic that was 13.7% of sex offenders' genders were unknown, which could lead us to take Take another look, but I really wanted to find some high, hard data, some studies on it. So I was able to find a paper called "Transgender Sex Offenders, Gender Dysmorphia, and Sexual Offending" by Kiprol Cure Satoa. Sorry if I got that wrong. And this was published in the journal Crim- *Criminological Research, Policy, and Practice*. And this was published back in 2020. And this was its findings. This is right from the paper. Okay. Little is known about the relationship between den- gender dysmorphia and criminality. More research is required to develop a typology of transgender sex offenders and develop actuarial risk instruments. Protective factors in relation to gender affirmative care are also important to understand. So the findings of the research was that they don't actually know much between gender dysmorphia and criminality. They, the, the research, uh, they need more of it. In fact, this paper trying to study the empirical data said this under research limitations and implicate implications said this. There is little empirical research to guide gender specialists and criminal justice professionals in the management of gender dysmorphia and address risk and recidivism in transgender offenders populations. The treatment of gender dysmorphia could result in improved well-being and better psychological adjustment, but cannot be, uh, relied to reduce future recidivism so so their own research says we don't actually have a lot of research on this it's possible that if we actually treat this gender dysmorphia instead of just giving them um you know more drugs and reinforce them gender affirming care but actually treat the gender dysmorphia that they could be in better well well being and that could possibly reduce future recidivism but we don't know in fact the study said This is in 2020. The study said that according to its research, it is the first ever study to even exist to ask this question. And apparently the last, because I can't find anything. It's almost like they're trying to not research this on purpose. Yet we see it in the news every day. So what other factors, though? Here's here's something else, okay? what's So we're seeing this issue, but maybe, in fact, we could maybe dig into to some other issues. And another thing we've seen recently, a lot of times, that the people committing public mass shootings, we've seen some interesting trends as far as seeing a few more of these perpetrators, these pieces of garbage. They're all pieces of garbage that commit them. But we're seeing that uh, there's been a few gender non-binary, trans, far left crazies pulling out uh these shootings in fact in an article to dispel this quote-unquote myth that's what they're attempting to do uh about trans mass shootings being on the rise from newsweek the article's called um trans mass shootings uh trans mass shootings are on the rise from newsweek titled how many mass shootings have been carried out by transgender people that was wrote in the spring of 2023 so this was wrote in 2023 It's talking about uh, trans mass shootings, and it's attempting to convince us that this is not on the rise. And so this is from the article. It states that four out of the 300 mass public shootings that have taken place since 2009 have been carried out by trans people. And they quote that saying that's just 1.3%. Now, you may ask a question, Andrew, why'd they choose 2009? Because obviously, if we rewind all the way back to 2009... Not only was transgenderism really not a conversation, but also it wasn't like we thought we needed to treat this by giving them, quote-unquote, gender-affirming care. Instead, we actually treated this as the mental illness, much like schizophrenia, that it is. So, why didn't they do that? Well, first, already, even 4 out of 300 is 1.3%. And keep in mind, according to this article, trans people only make up trans, not LGBTQ, but trans people. And gender non-binary only make up 0.6 to 1% of the population. So already they're 0.3% higher than what their population share is. So they're already above what their normal population share would be. But actually, if we only look at the past two years, you know, when transgenderism, this idea that we need to to reinforce their ideas have really been on the rise these last two, three, four years. When we take a look at that time frame, what we see is that percentage because all four of those mass shootings have pretty much been in the last two years we see that percentage gets much higher as in like six percent keep mind, trans people only make up 0.6 to one percent of the population that's a five times higher than their population rate so in an article that's trying to debunk the claim they are only reinforcing it so you have these untreated people that are traveling across the country to other states to protest against bills banning uh, gender affirming care in minors and surgeries on minors, quote unquote, while they themselves are suffering from a gender dysmorphia that is being untreated, that is leading, I believe, leading to further mental illness and debauchery such as pedophilia and violent outbursts like mass shootings because they're depressed and unhappy because nobody's treating their mental illness and then you want to ask are we on the right side of things yes we are on the right side of things and this is why it matters as real world implications if we don't people say why don't you just let people live why are you going to talk about these things here's why because if we continue to have a health industry that is leaving these people untreated it is a danger to our society It is. I believe it is. I believe based upon the limited amount of data we have access to and the evidence I presented to you, I think we can all easily come to the conclusion that not treating these mental illnesses is is releasing a whole lot of potential sexual offenders out that aren't being treated well and it's leading to these problems because they're not being told that their initial sexual perversions are incorrect, but also could be leading to more violent shootings and mass shootings. People want to talk about controlling guns if it only saves one life. Well, maybe if you actually treated transgender people as not reinforcing their delusions, but to say they're wrong, that might even save just one life. Coming up after this, we'll be digging into a few other stories. Bluegrass Station, uh, big eminent domain fight going on there, as well as we might have some time to talk about some other pieces of legislation. We'll have all that and more right here on the Andrew Kubridor Show. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Bluegrass Station, owned by Lockheed Martin, is in the middle of a eminent domain a push. So basically, the state of Kentucky is trying to eminent domain um, hundreds of acres of land in order to build an airstrip for Lockheed Martin. And this year. Uh, from LEX 18 will be my reference source on that from an article called farmers take stand against bluegrass station uh, airport proposal as station director provides details starts off by saying horse farm owner, Patrick Sneely says he'll do everything in his power to prevent the government from using eminent domain to take his property and use it as part of the proposal to build an airport at bluegrass station. I've got a 250 year old tree in my front yard. Sniley said, and I'm going to tie myself to it. Let them come remove me. Smiley stepping up to the plate, saying that this isn't from the article. This is me now. (laughs) Smiley stepping up to the plate, saying, hey, I'm going to take this fight to you. Now, it's interesting. They don't really talk about how many farmers showed up. There was around 1,000 people showing up uh, against this imminent domain at this recent event. And it's quite telling. Now, Stephen Collins, the director of the Bluegrass Station, said he understands why people are reacting the way they are. This was his quote, Collins said. There's a lot of pain, a lot of pain locally for people who are directly affected. There's more pain for the people who would be affected if we don't do it. The thousands of people who do work here, the thousands of people who could work here. That was his quote. There's a lot of pain if we don't do it for the thousand people who do work here and the thousand people who could work here. Well, first off let's rewind if we're talking about the greater good because if you're talking about eminent domain then that's the government coming in and saying we believe we need to take private property in order for the greater good when you have over a thousand people showing up to an event to stand against something and you're saying well the greater good here is that it may employ uh, a few thousand more people You have to ask a question here. Who is this for? If the locals in the area are saying, we don't want this, we don't want it. They don't want the jobs in their community, the thousands of jobs. That many people are showing up. And if you want to say, we should take a community vote on it or what have you to really distill that down. I got a feeling Lockheed Martin would lose. I got a feeling Bluegrass Station's not getting its airport if we do that. Because that many people showing up to an event tells me that this is a big issue. And so this is what he says. He says, this is so funny. So Collins here, the the director says, if the airport isn't built, he anticipates that Kentuckians will lose their job as the private companies that are part of Bluegrass Station move elsewhere. He says, it's not automatic, but it's pretty predictable. Collins is claiming if you don't build this hangar, not only are you not getting thousands of jobs, he's saying, hanger, hangar, build this airstrip. Not only are you not getting thousands of jobs in, he says it bring 2000 extra jobs to build this run strip, but you're also, you know, we may leave. We may not have uh, uh the jobs that are currently here. People are going to be jobless if you don't let us do this now. Now what really points the direction that that is at best, an idle threat, uh, him trying to demonize an issue, is that uh, apparently, uh, according to uh, some of the locals here at this event, they said, um, apparently, both Mallory and Collins, two citizens at the event, remember a plan about six years ago to build an airport, and they thought the community outcry had successfully killed it once and for all, and they were wrong. So apparently six years ago, they tried to build this strip and community outcry killed it. Then did the jobs go away? Did we lose those jobs in the last six years? That kind of points that what Sniley's saying here is kind of malarkey. I mean, he's saying that, um, not Sniley, sorry. What the, uh, uh, director Sniley's the citizen. Um, what Collins the director is saying here that, well, these jobs could go away if we don't get this airport is, I mean, six years ago, you didn't get your airport and those jobs didn't go away. You know, now Colin says, well, you know, this plan has been out there for a while. I don't know why people are suddenly upset. Um, well, it, it recently got put into some legislation here, uh, to be imminent domain. And I believe the, Uh, kentucky budget has some line items paying for it uh, in order to continue this process this project um out and considering the fact so state lawmakers to try to work towards this project have already allocated for the prior fiscal year five hundred thousand dollars to work on this project so we've already given them five hundred thousand dollars Not to mention we're going to eminent domain this land form. Not to mention they'll probably get more. And so it being in this most recent budget, that conversation is really kind of what got the communication going. But this has to be approved by the General Assembly. They have to eminent domain this. And so this really comes down to who's the General Assembly going to represent here? Are they going to represent their constituents? Or are they going to represent this company that wants to take land that belongs to private citizens? This isn't even a matter of free market. This is literally the government taking, confiscating from a citizen to give it to a private company for jobs they don't, have right now for promise of jobs into the future and this is really where we're coming to a head on this entire idea and concept we see in our legislation we see with our politicians that our our communities and have to be growing constantly this push that well we've got to throw in more jobs we need more jobs more jobs more jobs more jobs even when our unemployment rate is incredibly low if you if you looked at this area bluegrass station area and if they said look we've got within A 45-minute drive of here, an hour drive of here, there is 5,000 people unemployed currently looking for a job that would qualify for a job here. And by building this, we can take down 2,000 of those people and give them jobs, and that's what good we're going to do here for the community. If they could make that claim then you can make an argument that it's good. You know, the community needs it. You wouldn't see this community outcry. But the very fact, the reason why you have almost as many jobs as they're promising to provide as people showing up in person to stand against this is because they don't need the jobs in the area. They value their farmland. They value their community. They're valuing the aesthetics. And so you're really getting a head-to-head here of government's desire to make more money off of having more jobs, more employers, because they want more control and they want to do more, hitting up against citizens saying, stop it. Let us keep our property, our land, our community. This is what we built. This is what we're standing for. And you can have it over our cold dead bodies. As Sniley is saying here, (laughs) you know, chain me to a tree. I ain't coming down. And so it'll be interesting to watch how this goes. Do the legislators end up responding to the people in this area or does Lockheed Martin get their way? Well, part of the problem is, is that Lockheed Martin can dump money into a whole lot of legislators into districts where it really doesn't matter. To them, Whether this goes uh, or, or the imminent domain, the concerns of the community, that doesn't matter to them because they don't represent that area. It won't affect them in their next election. So they say, yeah, we'll vote yes on this. We'll take that money from Lockheed Martin, who spends a lot of money lobbying. Clearly, they're getting big payoffs. Remember, I said these people don't donate. They make investments and they expect payoffs for their investments. And this is the payoffs that they're getting. This is what they get. This is This is why they dump all that money into your politicians. And they've bought their vote. And many of those politicians will vote yes because it affects them none. It will not cost their seat a thing. But because of that, they'll end up affecting this community that clearly doesn't want this. I mean, we saw the same thing with that uh, battery plant. There was large amounts of citizens that didn't want the battery plant either. But here our legislators are saying, no, 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 no. Not only are you going to take it and you're going to like it, but we're going to take your land by force not just your money now but your actual property by force it's not easy to find farmland anymore you know it's not easy at all and they're going to say we're going to take it by force absolutely 100 percent ridiculous speaking of our legislators being ridiculous just a little small note for you uh we are now um i believe on what our 24th 4th 5th 27th what are we on we are now on our 34th day of the legislature official day we're over halfway through our legislative session and so far our legislature has passed exactly one bill and they tell you they need more days they need more time they need to be a full-time legislature that's what they need to get more done 34 days a session one bill passed just something for you to chew on while well, you've been listening to the Andrew Cooper show make sure you join us back here tomorrow have a great day thanks for tuning in